0: even the best therapy in the world is not going to get you rid of worry it's part of being human and it's really really important but if you are constantly feeling a sense of threat feeling overwhelmed stressed then that might be indicative of a more problematic level of anxiety
1: hello and welcome to the journal with me your host lucy spicer The journal is your go-to podcast for deep and empowering conversations that also gives you the practical tools, knowledge, and motivation to transform your own life. Join me as my guests share with you the defining moments that turn their times of darkness into opportunities for growth. At the end of each episode, I'll be showing you how to find the lesson in someone else's story by giving you guided journaling prompts to help you change your own life. So for now, join me for our next guest entry into the journal. Rachel Adams is the Lucy Spicer Practices Resident Psychological Coach and BABCP accredited psychotherapist. Rachel splits her time between the LSP and working in the NHS as a supervisor and therapist. She holds an undergraduate degree in psychology, a master's degree in clinical psychology, and a postgraduate qualification in psychotherapy. Rachel is a true master in supporting clients to manage anxiety and low mood, heal from trauma and help them to build confidence in their ability to navigate stress. Known in the industry as the Compassionate Coach, Rachel typically works with clients who feel stuck and dissatisfied with their life to overcome feelings of unworthiness. Welcome to the journal, Rachel. Hi. What a real treat to have you here. It felt only natural as our incredible resident coach and therapist to bring you onto the podcast and this is going to be a bit of a special episode because rather than kind of diving into your journal entry and thinking about your story, this special episode is going to be us really delving deep into anxiety and sharing your incredible knowledge and wisdom into this area and hopefully giving the listeners a deeper understanding of what anxiety is, how it manifests and how they can start to take back control from anxiety. So let's think, when I was preparing for this episode together, I was just curious, you know, I see obviously so many clients with anxiety as do you, I did in the NHS working in hospitals and also now in our practice and I was curious about what the prevalence rates were for anxiety at the moment. And in looking up the statistics, it showed that in 2022 to 2023, an average of 37.1% of women and 29.9% of men reported high levels of anxiety. What do you think about those statistics? And I guess, why do you think it's so prevalent in today's
0: world? I think that's a really good question. And I'm going to start off with immediately like normalising that um, worry is is a part of being human. Unfortunately, the way that our brain was built is that it was kind of built to deal with a lot less stress than we experience now. We're bombarded with information constantly in the world that we live in. And because of that, our brain is constantly having to navigate through lots of different information, trying to work out whether it's something that is possibly threatening, possibly you know something to be concerned or worried about. And as a result, sometimes our brain gets a little bit kind of stuck or a little bit caught up in things that perhaps aren't actually that threatening, um, which therefore, as a population, we continue to see increased kind of anxiety disorders, anxiety experiences. So as a result of kind of there being lots of more information that we're kind of constantly trying to navigate through and understand, sometimes our brain can just overestimate the sense of threat. And that leaves us experiencing far more anxiety symptoms and stresses in our body and in our minds than we would have done when we were simply just trying to navigate kind of caveman era.
1: Exactly, and just trying to hunt for food, right? It's it's incredibly different now. What do you think is the difference between anxiety and a worry? So,
0: I think that often we use those words interchangeably. I certainly do. But I think if we were to put it through kind of the clinical lens, is that worry is a very human emotion that all of us experience at some time. Um, It can be reasonably intense, but generally we have an understanding and a rational kind of awareness of why we are feeling worried. Anxiety tends to describe a much more kind of chronic or um, disproportionate anxiety response. And this is when we might see people seeking out more help to try and understand how to manage those symptoms.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a a great differentiation, like you, you know, in my work as well, I I lean towards the word worry or a worry Mm -hmm. that's around. But as you're saying, you know, it's not just kind of a one off worry thought, it's something that's, it's
0: impacting, you know, much more significantly. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, it's, it's that understanding that everybody has worries Mm -hmm. and even the best therapy in the world is not gonna get you rid of worry. It's part of being human and it's really, really important. But if you are constantly feeling a sense of threat, feeling overwhelmed, stressed, then that might kind of be indicative of uh, more problematic level of anxiety and you mentioned there sort of like overwhelm and stress
1: what do you think uh you know if someone was listening now and they were wondering if they were experiencing anxiety kind of what signs or symptoms might there
0: be there to to suggest that they are so I mean I think that the first and foremost the obvious one would be if you notice that you're worrying a lot more yeah so if you are waking up and you are thinking about what am I going to do later what if the, the trains are canceled, um, but kind of really noticing that that's increasing um, and it's getting kind of more difficult to work around those worries. But I think sometimes that the symptoms can be so much more subtle than that because as I've said, worry is, is human. Mm. So actually you might go through periods of, of being a little bit more anxious, maybe there's things going on. Um, if you start to notice that you are particularly um, irritable Uh, kind of very low tolerance for other things, situations happening, if you are particularly fatigued, um, these could also be signs of increased anxiety some other symptoms that are maybe a bit less obvious are if you are noticing that you are particularly irritable perhaps you've lost tolerance for other situations or circumstances are feeling more often overwhelmed sleep can also be impacted so you might not necessarily link the two but if you are struggling to get good quality sleep you're not waking up feeling rested this could be a sign of struggling with increased worries and anxiety sometimes people experience lower appetite or changes in appetite. So there's lots of different kind of physiological symptoms that you might be noticing that aren't just what's going on in your mind
1: absolutely and it's such you know anxiety really does manifest itself in such a a physiological way right you know even just thinking of the skin like you know I know when I am pushing myself or have increased levels of anxiety or stress because I get sores on the top of my knuckles or it comes out on my chest so everyone will have kind of their individual signs but it, it always you know Shocks me how physiological
0: it really is with anxiety. It's those really somatic responses in the body, which totally makes sense when you think about it being a kind of a physiological reaction to a potentially dangerous or threatening situation, which is then when we kind of link it to the, the fight or flight system in the body. And what's actually happening yeah so tell me a bit about that so
1: if we were if the listener was uh, thinking about where does anxiety you know where does anxiety come from what is anxiety actually at its most basic level how would
0: you explain that to them or explain that within a client session so um, if we can go back to the kind of the caveman kind of era and think about it in that that way is um, your mind is built with an on or off switch, kind of a threat switch. And if you are in danger, what you want is your body to pay attention to that danger. So you're gonna become hyper-focused on that particular danger, whatever that might be. So if we think about it as like the big woolly mammoth coming towards you, I'm gonna be paying attention to the big woolly mammoth. I don't really care what's going on around me. My body's also going to have a very automatic response to that that danger. And I'm gonna notice my heart rate increasing. I might notice changes in my kind of digestion, feeling maybe nauseous or that urge to kind of go to the loo. All of these things are linked because what your body is doing is putting itself in the best kind of prepared state to either fight that danger or get away from it as quickly as possible. Um, So in those examples, our mind is doing exactly what it was built to do. And that is totally understandable. If you think you're in danger, you're going to pay attention to that. The difficulty, as I was saying, is that in this day and age, what can happen is that we overestimate the threat. Because of course, the threat isn't just the woolly mammoth now. We've got social threat, financial threat, real, tangible, physical threat. And um, we're constantly trying to work out what is what and whether we need to pay attention to it. And sometimes our brain actually says, do you know what? I'm uh, Less risk if I overestimate this threat, and therefore I'm going to have this this physiological response to try and get myself to safety.
1: And it's crazy, isn't it? How as human beings, there's so much that's evolved over the time, but we're still having that exact same threat response. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I share with my clients as well. You know, the the you use a Willy marath I yeah. use a lion.
0: Yeah, <laughs> everyone well, I, I going to. I do also, do uh, also going for a lion sometimes. Yeah. Just change it up. <laughs> I talk about it a lot. It's um, but I'm going to use William yeah. Um
1: But we're having the same response to a lion, which is an immediate threat,
0: as we are to our boyfriend not texting us back, for yep. example. Absolutely. Or our boss wanting a meeting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because our brain fills in the gap, and actually, kind of even when we look at it through kind of a more logical lens, is that your brain is kind of, it's, it's kind of saying if I overestimate this threat, I'm gonna be safer than if I underestimate it. And that's where we fall into a bit of a trap and anxiety can get a hold. Because if I'm constantly overestimating the threat in my environment, I'm gonna be constantly anxious. Um, and you use the example of at work, sometimes people will have worry about everything, but sometimes people will have worries about one area of life. Sure. Um, and that, again, might be for very, very valid reasons. If they've experienced a particular problem, so if we, think about it in terms of driving if you've experienced a car crash you might become hyper alert and hypersensitive to being in or around cars or traffic that isn't unreasonable but we just need to think about how helpful it is yes and it's uh, that's really contradictory
1: as well in essence isn't it because Anxiety, although it may not feel like it at the time, is
0: actually there to protect you. Of course, absolutely. And again, I think we have to keep remembering that. Yeah. Is that anxiety is not well, worry isn't the enemy. We just need to make sure that we're keeping it in check.
1: I've seen a lot, you know, with my clients, and this term is being used a lot now in kind of this space and when thinking about anxiety, which is sort of high performing anxiety or high functioning anxiety. Mm -hmm. What's kind of your Understanding of that, how would you describe maybe like a profile of someone who could be experiencing? high performing or high functioning anxiety?
0: Yeah. So I think that this is a a term, I think for a lot of people, it kind of gives a bit of comfort and it normalizes that not everybody is having, you know, severe and intense, uh, kind of acute panic symptoms. Lots of people are living with anxiety, but are also seemingly externally doing really well. They've got a good job. They're able to go out and socialize with friends. And I think that from an external perspective they often are a group of people who are doing really well they're high achievers Um, but when you talk to them what they're actually doing is desperately trying to kind of stay afloat Um, or a lot of their decisions will be motivated by fear of something bad happening Uh, so that's sometimes when we start to see people talking about imposter syndrome. So I've got this great life. I've got all these things that are going really well. And now I'm fearful that I'm going to lose them or I'm going to be found out. Our anxious brain will take any opportunity it can to kind of get involved and simply start telling you stuff that maybe isn't true. And if we start listening to that, it's going to increase your discomfort. It's going to increase your level of of stress in your body
1: and um, we've spoken about maybe you know with the imposter syndrome some some causes of anxiety so with imposter syndrome and their fear of being maybe found out it's it's around kind of that belief or worry of not being enough and kind of mm-hmm. striving for perfection and and always pushing themselves to do more where that anxiety manifests what do you think maybe some other causes
0: of anxiety might be So anxiety can be caused by absolutely anything that you are kind of preoccupied with or fearful of. So, and I think this is also something sometimes people find difficult to get their heads around because I hear a lot like, oh, it's really silly or, oh, it's not really a big deal. But if your mind is telling you that whatever that situation is is gonna put you in danger, either a social danger, a financial danger, a physical danger, then your brain was built to pay attention to it. And often what we're doing is counterintuitive when we're talking about these things in sessions with clients. We're asking people to override that part of your brain. So we've talked about kind of maybe feeling not good enough as an example, but it could be anything from what we spoke about in terms of fear of driving and worries about that to, I don't know, somebody thinking that I look stupid or somebody thinking uh, something about me, even if I don't know them or I don't actually really care about their opinion sometimes our brain can get really caught up in the idea that that's gonna cause me some kind of problem or harm. And so then we have that physiological response, right? And that then leads to a really vicious cycle because if my body is in a physiological state of stress, my mind's gonna start looking in my environment for why am I feeling like this? So if I go back to that kind of foundation of my woolly mammoth is if I, every time I see a woolly mammoth, I have a physiological stress response, and I see the woolly mammoth, I know and I understand why I'm feeling like this. The difficulty is, is that often we have that physiological response in our body and we can't see the woolly mammoth. So our mind starts either looking for it and finds something, whether it's real or imagined, or it makes it up. It simply kind of keeps creating that narrative. And unfortunately our brain is really powerful. So if I'm now thinking that everybody thinks I look stupid and that causes me distress, the stress in my body is now perpetuating those thoughts because they're congruent. So if my body feels stressed and my mind is also giving me lots of stressful thoughts, my body's going to feel more stressed. And I think in its very simplified form, that's not that hard to kind of get our heads around. No. If I'm feeling it... Yeah. ...and I'm thinking it, yep. it's just going to further confirm that my thoughts are real. Yeah, and therefore I need to be having this yes. response. So it's, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, um, of, if every time I go out in the car I feel stressed and anxious, um, I feel stressed and anxious. I'm going to create an association there, and it's it's tricky to undo that because it's counterintuitive and what you know with our methods
1: and that's why it was so important for me to have you on our team we're all about evidence-based neuroscience studies Mm -hmm. like research that is very much our background how can we apply that you know how can we almost give like our listeners hope that there's
0: kind of evidence that this can be changed yeah so I mean the reason we're talking about it is because we know we can change it we we've seen it for ourselves but also there's there's loads and loads of research and my kind of foundation foundations of working with people is in cognitive behavioral therapy and what we know is that there is plenty of research with people who have just just done talking therapies and we are being able to map changes in the brain through MRI scanning what we already know about the brain is it's kind of got something we call neural plasticity basically that means that just like any other muscle in your body the more you use that muscle the more it's going to grow and if you're not using it it's kind of going to become weaker and less kind of accessible to you when you need it. So in practicing strategies to manage anxiety, in practicing strategies to try and reduce stressful experiences, your brain is going to respond to that. And one of the ways I find is helpful to visualize that is if you think about a beautiful kind of, you know, field it's got big long tall grasses in it um, and on one side of it is a beautiful scene that you want to get to now if every single time I walk through that field I'm taking the same path there's going to be a very well trodden path it's going to be super clear I can see from one side of the field to the other and I'm going to probably take that path it makes sense what we know about managing anxiety is that we can learn different ways to get to that that same place. And at first, it's going to feel clunky and it's going to feel awkward because we're going to be treading down new ground. But eventually, that will become the norm. And it just creates a new neural pathway in your brain. And over time, that then becomes the habitual response. And the old kind of path will eventually kind of grow over. So we know that it takes a bit of time. We know it's kind of tricky because it can feel that we're doing that work in the worst bit, um, but it's totally possible to shift how how your brain works. And, and with that shift and like
1: creating that, that new path for yourself and learning to do things in a different way, how can we
0: start to take back that control from anxiety? Yeah, so we've talked quite a bit about the brain and fundamentally, a lot of our threat response happens in a part of our brain that is quite primal. So it's the amygdala. And what we want to do is try and override that threat response and use more of our prefrontal cortex, more of our higher level thinking, more of our rational brain. Now, what we want to do with any type of strategy is move from the back of our brain to the front of our brain. Um, So anything that is going to bring you more present moment focus, anything that is going to get you in the moment, moving you from that kind of of your brain that is saying that you're in danger to the part of your brain that can reassess and it's really important to recognize that sometimes in your immediate environment there might be something that is particularly stressful it might not be a really comfortable environment but we still want to be able to engage in more rational thinking and be able to then assess what you want to do and how you want to act next. So a lot of this is based in being more present. And something that I find is a really helpful starting point is simply thinking about grounding yourself in this moment. So thinking about all of your senses, five things that you can see around you, four things that you can hear, three things that you can feel or touch, two things that you can smell, one thing that you can taste. And you can get really creative with that. So if you're feeling totally overwhelmed by a really busy kind of overwhelming environment, you can get really, really specific and small. So it might be something as simple as me just noticing what my hands look like. just keeping it in that very small space. Sometimes it's really helpful to get out of your body, though, and look in your whole environment for those things that you can see, feel because that gives us more information to whether we are actually in danger if it's a realized danger and we need to do something about it or whether actually this is one of those moments that our minds got a bit carried away i think the five four three
1: two one you know is one of my absolute go-to practices with my clients as well and even when it's you know if you're doing that another great time to do it is at night when you can't Mm -hmm. when you can't sleep and your mind is um running wild yep why does it love to do that at 3am and um even like the cognitive effort to think of those things that you can hear, it's what I, I love about it is that it's still grounding you further. Yeah. You know, that effort of actually what is that third thing that I can hear is really grounding you even more into the present.
0: Exactly. And it's, it's kind of using all of those different mechanisms. It is giving your mind something else to focus on. So it's moving the attention away from the anxious thought or the anxious trigger, whatever that might be. And it's replacing it with something that it, hopefully is, is at least neutral, but if not pleasant. Um, and in doing so, that whole action is exercising that muscle in your brain. So also, you, you might not get it perfect straight away. We're not expecting that. I don't get it perfect all of the time. In fact, I rarely you know, notice what, when I'm having to do some of these things. It's recognizing that this can be really tricky, but every single time you notice your mind wandering and you bring it back to whichever sense or to whichever part of this grounding exercise, you're exercising that muscle. So it's making sure that we're not using it as an opportunity to kind of like beat yourself up or get frustrated. It's just another opportunity to exercise that muscle, just like you would kind of, you know, lifting weights in the gym. The more you do it, the kind of the the less difficult it gets.
1: And that's really the thing with mindfulness, right? It is that muscle to be exercised and whether you're doing it through five, four, three, two, one to be more present or through meditation, the brain loves repetition when Mm -hmm. learning a new skill. It is something to be repeated. And it's also, as you said, to take that pressure off that you're going to get it perfect every single time. I just wanted to pause the episode here to say if this is resonating with you and this is sounds like we are speaking to you in this episode. Remember, it's amazing if you get tools and strategies and a little bit of a boost after listening to these podcast episodes or doing the journal prompts or reading self-help books. But there is nothing quite like Doing the one to one work and the magic that can happen from having someone in your corner, having a safe space to explore what you're going through, where these anxieties have come from, what is keeping them going, and then to have evidence based strategies that actually work, which changes the game for you and means that you can live a life in control of anxiety. And this is exactly why Rachel and I are here. We have worked in the NHS with 1000s of clients suffering from anxiety, and now do this all the time in our private work. And so this is your invitation to take a breath, do something for yourself, reach out and book that discovery call with either Rachel and I to really help you turn your life around what other tools and strategies do you have sort of what's this what's the saying up your sleeve
0: (laughs) that you could share with our listeners today uh so as i said anything that's going to bring you kind of back into the moment so five four three two one is is great because it is reasonably simple and therefore easy to remember um but if we're thinking about exercising that muscle any formal practice so any kind of meditation that you can kind of engage with so i know that you've recorded some anything that is going to allow you to try and spend time moving your attention away from anxious thoughts is going to be a beneficial exercise and so it's also remembering to do them not only when you're feeling anxious actually just doing them because and hopefully you get to a point where it's kind of enjoyable yeah yeah
1: everyone's going to be different with these sort of practices and for some people the five four three two one would really resonate or a meditation or as you know I'm a breathwork teacher as well and breathwork practices it's kind of about when I'm working with my clients to help them find a toolkit that works for them yes. and that might not be the
0: same for everyone exactly and I also use the same phrase it's kind of just having a toolkit and I think that's also really important that we don't end up putting a reliance on only one coping strategy because the reality is is that life is is sometimes stressful and and lots of things can be going on. And if we've only got one coping strategy, that can be a little bit fallible. Um, so then we're kind of continuing that conversation about awareness. So the more awareness you have of your immediate environment, hopefully the, the calmer your body can be. Um, we're then thinking about, well, what is it that's going on in my mind? What are the thoughts that tend to come up when I'm feeling like this? So... It can be helpful then to start labeling different types of thoughts to, again, try and simplify something that's probably quite complex. Um, So types of anxious thoughts may be catastrophic thoughts. Mm -hmm. So this idea of going from naught to 60 very quickly. Mm -hmm. So from going to use the example of a train being cancelled because this is very relevant to death happened. <laughs> that might have happened um, but it's going from standing on the platform thinking my train's cancelled to oh my gosh I'm not going to make it I'm never going to work again um, I'm going to be homeless because I'm not working you know things that don't necessarily rationally make sense but because the first thing has caused you to feel so uncomfortable mm. your mind has done that thing where it's kind of gone let me just bring some other things in that are going to also make you feel really uncomfortable so being able to label that initial thought as, right, that's one of those catastrophic thoughts, Yes, can actually sometimes just give it less power. Yes. Because we're no longer looking at it like, oh, well, my brain's telling me that, so therefore it must be true. Absolutely not. Our mind does lots of things that are just totally not true. Um, but there's other things that can be a little bit more subtle. So something we hear a lot um, when people are, c- are preoccupied or concerned with other people's opinions of them is, oh, they must think this. Yes. They must think that I am yes um, stupid, silly, ridiculous. They must think that I am you know doing this for for X Y Z reason. You mind reading, mm. unless you've actually gone and asked every single person that you've ever had that thought about, were you thinking those things? Mm. You don't know, and that's sometimes a hard thing for us to accept, but we don't know what other people are thinking and they might sometimes be thinking that but how often are you thinking those thoughts about other people because normally it's not that often
1: yeah it's so interesting you said the mind reading if you if you listen to the first episode of the journal with Nadia's entry and we were talking about our journey together and working together that was one of the most powerful things she said she actually took away from mm-hmm. our sessions and what was creating kind of conflict for her was that she was just assuming that she knew what her partner was thinking yeah um, and I see it so much you know way it's in in relationships that are creating arguments I see it a lot as you said with that imposter syndrome and at work and you're presenting in a meeting and my clients are convinced that uh, you know this person said this about me in the boardroom and we kind of sit with that in the session and and you know create that calm environment so you can access that rational thought yes. and then they're suddenly like uh when we start to think a bit more flexibly about that, maybe, you know, I was being quite rigid there and I was just doing
0: that black and white thinking and exactly. creating those assumptions. And it's, it's you know, black and white thinking is another type of kind of style of thinking that it probably exists for a very good reason. Sometimes our world is incredibly stressful yes. and overwhelming and we need to simplify it. But we also need to be able to kind of challenge those thoughts when they're not helpful so if you are sat in a board meeting and you think someone's thinking something particular about you you need to be able to acknowledge that label it for what it is because if you don't you are going to feel pretty anxious and upset about it because effectively what we've done is gone my mind's thought it therefore it must be true yes and I feel it, and therefore it must be true, which is another one, right? Yeah, so actually emotional reasoning, I think, is very relevant to anxiety, so um, we've used the car example, we've used kind of the woolly mammoth, but in those situations when you are under threat, your body is having a physiological response, and we've learned from an evolutionary perspective and just through living, is that that physiological response normally means something bad's happening. Nobody likes feeling particularly stressed out and anxious. So we immediately focus on it and we immediately think, why is this happening? What is this? Therefore I must or I must not. So if I'm feeling like this, I must get out of Tesco right now because it's because I'm here. Or I must not go to the event later because I'm feeling really uncomfortable. And if we can just recognize that our emotions are pretty um, unreliable, mm. that they're very human, they are very helpful sometimes, but they're often very unreliable. Yeah. So just because I'm feeling a certain way doesn't actually mean that this particular situation is dangerous to me. And I think, you know, basing that
1: or kind of pulling that to, together, Rach, and it's something that we both um, judge us if you will uh, <laughs> get quite excited about sharing with our clients and we all have different words for it but kind of that hot cross bun and yeah. and you know that cbt that cognitive behavioral therapy formulation of understanding anxiety like how can we kind of share that with the listeners and and piece this together we've spoken about the physiological we've spoken about the emotions we've spoken about the thought
0: yeah so i guess then the other component of that is kind of also acknowledging the behavior so when we feel a certain way it impacts what we do and also what we do impacts how we feel and what we're thinking about so I said my foundations of, of this work is in cognitive behavioral therapy and the foundations of that are in looking at how our thoughts our feelings our physiological symptoms and our behaviors all interact mm-hmm. and fundamentally it is a vicious cycle but that doesn't always mean it's bad we can interrupt it at different areas so if we think about, well, what am I doing when I feel like this? And then we can address, is that helpful? So I know I'm on the analogies. So but I was literally <laughs> talking. the same with this. Yeah. They're so powerful. And then you incorporate drawing. Yeah, I do love drawing. Um, but if we kind of think about if you're watching a horror movie, if you stop it at the worst bit because you're feeling totally overwhelmed and you can't manage continuing watching mm-hmm. it, you're final memory of that is going to be that worst bit and the difficulty is is every time someone says oh my god did you watch that film you're going to go oh yeah it was awful and i hated it sometimes we have to see it through that doesn't mean it's going to get really good it doesn't mean that we're going to have a like a favorite film that we want to go back to all of the time but often in seeing it through, we, work, we realize the worst isn't gonna happen. And that's when we talk about managing behaviors and sometimes sitting with the discomfort or challenging ourselves to, to push through certain things. And I, I, I say that, I don't like that phrase push through because I think we have to be really mindful. It's not always about doing more but it is about working out what's motivating those behaviours. And if it's anxiety, we need to challenge that.
1: Absolutely, or we just stay the same, right? Like one of my favourite quotes is, nothing changes if nothing changes. And Rachel and I are both very similar in our approach is we're not going to suddenly flood that fear, right? We're not going to suddenly make you do that thing that you really don't want to do or create anxiety. It's about doing it in a great, very graded way. You know, my favorite thing to say is like small, sustainable steps. We want a little bit of challenge, otherwise you're not changing anything,
0: but not in a way that is kind of over consuming. And it's what we call in therapy, that window of tolerance. Absolutely. And we're trying to scaffold it. So we're trying to look at what is the next manageable step, that will help us to learn that maybe what we were thinking or how we were doing something maybe wasn't that helpful. And it's also acknowledging that most people's coping strategies exist because they worked at some time. They just have no longer, no, no purpose anymore. Yeah. And they just start to get in the way. You know, people don't start avoiding stuff just because it's fun. People avoid stuff because it's so uncomfortable and they haven't worked out how to manage it yet. And so when we're starting to challenge those things, we need to be thinking about, well, how do we make it fun? How do we make it enjoyable? Yeah. What is the value in challenging it? Because if you don't have value in challenging, it, if you don't want to take up, I don't know, a particular activity or something, then, then actually we don't need to, to challenge everything. But it is thinking about when is the fear stopping you from doing something yeah
1: and I think just to bring another real life example to like that as you said you know with hobbies but also if we go back to kind of the clients that we maybe see in in our work and in the practice you know a lot I have uh, a lot of clients I support kind of speaking up in meetings and feeling Mm -hmm. more confident and worried that if they'll speak up in meetings they might say the wrong thing or you know they might be judged for that or they might go clammy and not say in the way that they hoped If you're avoiding that, as you said, you're never going to learn that it's okay. So we just try and do that, you know, set I'm with sciencey here, guys. You know, set little experiments of of speaking up and maybe speaking up about a topic that you do feel more confident with. And then you do that, your brain learns that it's okay and you manage, and then you're going to be more motivated to, to
0: keep trying and keep taking those steps. It becomes naturally reinforcing. Absolutely. And this is the difficulty with kind of starting something like this, because your mind will have convinced you that the reason you're not doing Doing it is because of all of those things because of those worries about being judged or those worries about looking silly or, or getting embarrassed um and arguably we can't guarantee that those things don't happen but I can't tell you how many times I've embarrassed myself y- you kind of learn if nothing that you can cope with that and that's the kind of then the two factors whenever we're doing any work we're trying to do two things we're trying to Increase coping. And that means also coping with when it doesn't go perfectly, when it doesn't go totally to plan. And the other is reducing threat. Mm -hmm. Because actually, often people are not thinking those things. Or often, the threat is not proportionate to how we've kind of perceived it in our mind. Absolutely. I could talk to
1: you about (laughs) this for hours, Rachel. Uh, It really is kind of our, our bread and butter. But if there's someone listening today that's kind of identified with what we've spoken about and experiencing those levels of anxiety, what would a piece of advice be that you would give to them?
0: So something I haven't said actually throughout this is, I guess, just being kind to yourself and not getting caught up in being more stressed out that you've noticed that you're now anxious because that will enter back into that vicious cycle and probably not help. Um, I think the main piece of advice is being able to identify and acknowledge thoughts that are unhelpful and where possible to try and look for the evidence that challenges that. Um, that is possible to do. It's a little bit more possible with a bit of help. Yeah,
1: and that's where we step in. It's so amazing, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, to to have Rachel on this episode, to be able to share her wisdom, share her knowledge in this area. And it's why I brought her into the practitioner. I'm really passionate about bringing in trusted expert coaches and therapists into the Lucy Spicer practice and that's exactly what Rachel embodies so we are very much here if this has resonated with you if you want to seek support to help you work through this with our metaphors and our ways of working all the metaphors Um, but yes please never you know you're really not alone in this and um, as we started with the statistics it is becoming more and more common but also it's giving you hope that There are strategies, there is evidence to help you with this and no
0: longer have anxiety control you. Yeah, and I I think that's a really good summary is it's kind of getting to the point where you understand the anxiety and can feel confident in, in managing it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming here today, Rachel. Thank you for this special episode, you know, your entry into anxiety and, and, and what it's all about, how it manifests, but also, you know, how we can start to combat it. We're going to switch up. A little bit for today's special episode. So instead of journal prompts, I've actually put together a whole worksheet for you that's taken from cognitive behavioral therapy, and they are the most common anxious thoughts that we have. So this worksheet is going to really empower you and help you take back control from anxiety by helping you to identify the type of thought that you might be having. For example, catastrophizing, always thinking of the worst case scenario, always seeing something through a negative lens. And then with that, after identifying the thought, you have journal prompts to help you to actively challenge that thought and find a healthier more balanced thought so this is going to be a true game changer if you find yourself consumed with anxious thoughts and don't know how to reframe them and get a different perspective so as always they will be in the show notes you can get them from my mailing list and through my website you've been listening to the journal with me lucy spicer I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that you feel uplifted and inspired to create change in your own life. Please take a second to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone who you think needs to hear this story. To find today's guest and to download the journal prompts, visit the links in the show notes. And to learn more about the Lucy Spicer practice and how to work with me and my team, go to lucyspicer.com. For advice and a daily dose of motivation, find me over on Instagram at lucyspicer_. underscore. Thank you so much for listening and I'll meet you back here for the next episode.